This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The best is yet to come. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? What is up? Welcome to episode 152, future award-winning Talk About Full podcast. Big thank you to everybody out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, support the show. It really, truly means a lot to me. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. We're available on literally every major podcasting platform out there. The NFL's back this week, folks. I love it. We need this. We really do. This is a time of year that I get really excited about having this podcast, more so than any other time of year. I mean, all the other sports are great, but let's face it, man. We live for football. At least I know I do anyway. Big shout out to all you guys out there for listening. Huge numbers, bigly numbers last week with the podcast and lately in general. Definitely trending up. I had sale week last week. I had sale Mariano. He did last Tuesday's show. Last Friday, I had Sal Capacho on. He helped me celebrate the 250th episode. Um, This past Tuesday, I had Aaron Quinn from Cover One. He returned. Good stuff. Also, I want to give some props to Joe Miller from the Overreaction Sports Podcast. I did his show last Monday, this past Monday. It was a lot of fun. Great to be on the other side of the bar with these things sometimes. Joe does a great job. He's got such a good voice. So natural. Very fun chat and... Got a lot of good feedback with that. Uh, today, obviously, it's going to be all about football. And to do that, I'm going to have on one of my favorite football guys, Ryan Talbot, Buffalo Bills beat writer for NewYorkUp.com, co-host of the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. He does that with Matt Perino. We're going to hook up in just a minute. Ryan's a recurring guest on the show, but you know what? I haven't had him on, actually, since... Uh, Shortly before COVID became a, a pandemic in early March. So it's been a minute since I've had Ryan on. Today we'll have a final preview of the Bills. Uh, we'll go through the team positionally. I'll get Ryan's thoughts on if he thinks the team is better, worse, or the same as last year positionally. Uh, we'll spend a few minutes talking about the opener on Sunday against the Jets in front of a crowd list. But pipe didn't sound anyway, Bills Stadium. And then I'm going to put Ryan on the hot seat. I'm going to get some... Fearless Bills, some fearless NFL season predictions. I'll definitely hold him that at the end of the year. I'll also talk a little bit about the great job Ryan's been doing. I mean, this guy is really inorganically kind of built a great following and a good reputation for himself. And I'm not just talking about Bills fans, but colleagues, people in the media as well. Very respected. Ryan's getting very respected in this business, and I'm very happy to see it. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about his podcast and the video cast that he's doing with Matt. Doing very well. They're getting a couple thousand uh, viewers every time you do a video cast. Very impressive. Uh, plenty more. So I'm not going to waste any more time. 
Here it is, my chat with my man, my buddy, Ryan Talbot. All right, I am joined right now by recurring guest. He is Buffalo Bills beat writer at NewYorkUp.com, a podcast co-host. Really good one, too, man. Ryan Talbot, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to have you on. We just went through hell to get this rolling. Before we even start, I, I have to tell the story real quick here. So I sent you a link. Typically, I like to do Zencaster because the audio sounds the best. So we hooked up. That was no issue. But then for you couldn't hear me on your end, which I think is something wrong with my machine on my fault. So we spent a few minutes messing around. That didn't work. Then we did Skype. Same deal. That doesn't work. So I said, all right, I need to go out to my car because now we're doing a phone conversation here. And you know that little adapter that comes with your iPhone? You've got to plug into the bottom because, you know, it doesn't have, it has a square thing. I realized I left, yeah. it, in, I left it in my car. Okay. So I go out to my car and it is monsooning out right now because I'm in Florida. And of course it's raining in the summer. And I didn't realize it until I got outside. My car is like a full football field away. So I go sprint into my car full speed, soaking rain out, come in. I am soaked, changing my clothes. So now long story short, 20 minutes later, we're ready to start. Fun stuff. <laughs> That's a good start, buddy. I'm telling you, it's always something that, you know, Matt and I joke about that with the podcast, you know, either my audio goes out his, he's had his screen freeze. I've been booted out of some of these things. I just think that's kind of like the new norm right now. If if something funny doesn't happen, there's something off. It, it, for sure. And I'll tell you what, even my cell phone right now, which is, that's our connection. You still sound good, man. I'll tell you what, dude, let me, let me tell you the difference here. And we're obviously going to talk plenty of Buffalo Bills and we're going to have some NFL and Buffalo Bills bowl predictions at the end. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. But let me tell you the big difference right now from when I first had you on this podcast till now, going all the way back and I looked it up. So you've done the show with me. This is actually the fifth time you've been on, okay? I feel like early on, very early on, like the first time you were ever on, in a way, I kind of felt like, and you're going to have to hear me out here when I say this, I kind of feel like I was doing you a little bit of a favor, helping you get your name out more. Whereas now, two years later, dude, you've kind of blown up. You're doing me the favor right now. I used to seek you out and be like, hey, you know, I'll get Ryan some pub, this and that. I still feel that way, but now... You're the one who's the big deal, dude. You're the one who's really, uh, you've blown up, man. You've become very popular. And I say that in the most complimentary type of way. Organically, you've done that, of course. But yeah, I looked it up. Episode 23 was the first time you were ever on here. And that was following Adam Schefter when I used to have like these five-hour podcast episodes with two guests every time. But yeah, dude, you really, uh, you've, re you've really blown up. I don't know any other way to say it. You've become very popular and it's been so much fun to follow you through the years now. but you're, you're finally, you're getting the, that credibility and the popularity, not just amongst fans, but amongst the media too. And, and it's really good to see, man. I'm very happy for you and all your success now. Well, I appreciate that. And, and it's pretty humbling. You know, I had a, a Bills fan uh, send me a message on Twitter this past weekend during uh, the roster cutdowns, the practice, practice squad signings and all that. And that we were able to get a lot of that over at the site uh, ahead of other uh, outlet and ahead of the national media and, and they're like man i i've been following you for x amount of years now and i remember the first story you broke 
they're like, I don't remember the first story I broke. He's like, yeah, it was Alex Carrington. I'm like, holy cow, there's a, there's a blast from the past for the Bills. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely come a long way. It's definitely humbling. I, I do feel a little funny when people are uh, openly praising me like that on social media. And because uh, it is, it's kind of like a part, you know, it is a part of the job. But it's definitely, I've definitely come a long way from, from where I started. Uh, and a lot of hard work went into that. But I'm also successful because of a lot of the people around me and, and the people who, uh, even here at, at my house, you know, my, my wife and my kids are absolute saints for when I have to shoot a podcast, when I have to do this, that, or the other, they're going upstairs outside this, that, or the other, so I can shoot these things. So, uh, a lot of people go into the overall success of where I was to where I am now. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, they are supportive because it seems like you and Matt are shooting a podcast like every day <laughs> for an over the last month. And like I said, I met that in the most compliment. I've always considered you a friend, somebody that. We have a lot of things in common, a lot of things that we like together. And like I said, I've always thought, you know, you're a good writer, a good blogger, but it's just, it's gotten a point now where like when Buffalo news, when Bill's news goes down, like just for an example, cut day this past weekend, man, I got, I'm locked into you as, as much if not even more than a lot of these quote unquote mainstream guys that have been doing it for years and years and years. You've really kind of joined that party. It really, it makes me, uh, makes me very happy. And like I said, on a friendship level, you and I have a lot of stuff in common, including wrestling. I know you're a big wrestling fan. In fact, the graphic that I have to promote this episode has you in a, a Macho Man t-shirt, which is pretty cool looking. But yeah, you're still, do you still watch it? Uh, I do more so because of my son than anything else right now. You know, I, I actually kind of roll my eyes a lot more at it now than I ever did during yeah. that the Attitude Era and all that. But my, my son is huge into it. He inherited all my old wrestlers, those big rubber LJN figures. Uh, I love the the little Hasbro uh, plastic ones. So he probably has like 50 to 70 of those that I had as a kid. Um, but, you know, he loves wrestling. He's watching it a few nights a week here. He's, we have the WWE Network. So he, he's hooked. Uh, and that kind of has me still lured in because he wants to watch it with me. So, you know, it's not the same to me right now. There's certain things that I still like. There are still great matches from time to time, but, uh, I've definitely kind of, I'm, I'm not where I was maybe five years ago where I think I enjoyed the product even more back then than I do now, but there's still parts of it that I definitely like and enjoy. Just like with, I guess, real sports. I mean, this is sports entertainment, but watching it without fans, how, uh, how different has that been for you? And is it something that bothered you? Because for me, I mean, I was a little disenfranchised with the way things were just going even before COVID when it comes to WWE, because I'm a lifelong fan, just like you, but the fan, not having any fans, it's just, it's felt airy and kind of weird. Now I know they're doing a Thunderdome thing and that looks better visually, but it's still, it's not even, I mean, wrestling is so dependent on fan reaction and without it, it's just really odd. It's really weird to me. Oh, I agree. I, I wish it was kind of a mix between where they were with the um, Thunderdome and where, and then also having like those NXT, uh, the, those young NXT people in the crowd, because hey, it's nice to hear actual cheering and hitting on the plexiglass. But like you said, the Thunderdome looks great, um, but I, I would like a mix of some sort because having some actual audience and people that are actually cheering, even if they are, Technically, WWE employees, it sounded better than no people in the crowd. And uh, it sounds better than, obviously, the Thunderdome, where you see a lot of images, but you're not really hearing it as much as maybe you would like. Uh, it's actually kind of funny because we actually were at one of the last shows before 
COVID hit, uh, we were at that Friday night SmackDown in Buffalo. I want to say that was like March uh, 6th. So it was almost a, a pretty much like a week and a half before things really got shut down here in this area. Uh, and Owen was able, my son, who, who's the diehard, was able to meet the New Day, Big E, and Kofi at the New Era store. So, you know, we were on cloud nine at that point, and all of a sudden, all this hits, and, and wrestling has been a lot different since then. Yeah, you know what's funny? I actually remember that, because you were on my podcast that week, that Tuesday, I think it was the March 3rd episode. That was the last time you were on. It was right before COVID, and I remember that SmackDown was coming to Buffalo. You know, I was looking through, I saw on Twitter, you know, a lot of people collect sports cards as kids i'm sure you collected baseball cards or to some extent football cards or something as a kid i did most people do i was looking man old wrestling magazines are selling 15 20 bucks a pop now on twitter and i'm telling you dude ryan i'm a little bit older than you here i got a couple years on you in like the early to mid 80s i would take my entire allowance which i don't know 10 15 bucks a month whatever it may have been and I would get on my bike and I would ride. I was I grew up on the west side. And I would take a ride to Hurdle in Delaware. There was a small newsstand on the corner of Hurdle in Delaware. And I bought every single wrestling magazine that would come out for that month. And I read it from cover to cover. Kept them in great shape. Eventually lost them. I blame my mother to this day for that. But dude, these things are going for 20 bucks a pop. I literally had boxes. Probably three, 400 of these magazines from the early to mid 80s. Even up to the, the late 80s and the early 90s. Big business now. I didn't know that until I was just on Twitter recently. I'm like, wow, these things are selling for a lot of money, man. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because on Facebook, too, at the marketplace, I see people advertising for $15, $20 a pop. And I had a big collection of the WWF magazine. Uh, there was a magazine called Spotlight, too, before uh, from WWE before that. PWI, had a lot of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Mm -hmm. WCW magazine, I remember I had the first issue of that. Uh, and quite a few others, but mine, I didn't keep mine in great shape. So and when my parents eventually got rid of them, you know, I don't think I would be able to sell them for much today, but even, even the old wrestlers are going for uh, a ton of money. Cause I try to add to Owen's collection of my Hasbro figures and um, just, it, it's hard to find them. People are more so selling them as collector's items. And I just want things that my son can play with. I don't need right. to be in great shape, uh, but I saw like, I, I used to trade some of my figures. I sold some of my figures off. But I saw like this one, two, three kid Hasbro figure, and, and I, it was in great shape. I think it was actually still in the package. And they're trying to get like five hundred to seven fifty four. I'm like, holy cow! I had that figure, Yokozuna, a lot of these. So it, it's funny, but uh, really quick with the WWF magazine, uh, it, it's kind of funny. In 1996, I sent in a picture of the Undertaker that I drew, and it actually appeared in an issue of WWF magazine that has Shawn Michaels uh, on the cover where he wins the title for the first time in that Iron Man match at WrestleMania. So I, I'm actually, I actually have a photo <laughs> of one of those old WWF magazines. I actually still have it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. That's funny. Yeah, I used to collect them even before that, like the wrestler. You said Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the wrestler, Inside Wrestling, uh, Pro Wrestling Review. Like, there was like five or six magazines that I got literally every month. Now, there's one other thing, too, that you and I definitely, I mean, sure, we have other stuff in common, too, but we're both huge fans of The Office. That's one of your favorite shows. We've talked about that. You, like I said, you've been on this podcast enough times. We've had some discussions about The Office. But, and you kind of sort of know about this. This is more about letting the audience know. So my big summer project is I binged The Office or God, I don't even know how many times. But what I did this time that was different than all the other times is I was constantly pausing it at points of literally every episode. And I decided I was going to make like the ultimate trivia contest. So I would hear a question in my mind, something would pop. 
I would pause it, write down the question and the answer. And as a result, and this took a long ass time, man, I got a nine part because there were nine seasons, 650 questions, all multiple choice. So there's four choices, A through D. And hopefully sometime in the next two weeks, in fact, I was just talking to you a couple of days ago before we taped this about trying to find somewhere on the internet. I want to be able to make it easy and accessible for fans of the show to be able to do it online and, you know, just punch something in as opposed to having to write down if it's right or wrong, you know, like the old school way. But anyway, coming down the shoot at some point, as soon as I figure it out soon, and I can't wait to see, because again, I know you're a big fan, but 650 questions, man, that's a lot, even for the biggest office fans. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how I do on that. BuzzFeed had one, I want to say, I want to say it was BuzzFeed, they had one that was like called the, the toughest one yet. I ended up getting 49 out of 50, and I was very upset that I missed the one that I did. Um, just because I kind of went blank on it. It was um, Stanley or it was Stanley with the the cream and the sugar question. What was it in? And I just I don't know why I thought coffee because that was so obvious. It was iced tea, he, right? It was iced tea. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh, you fool! I, and I knew it right after. Um, yeah, and, and you know I, I've actually been collecting all the Office Funko Pops, so I have those kind of displayed in my house. I have the Threat Level Midnight poster. Again, my wife is a saint for letting me hang this stuff up in the house with its common decor, but it's obviously not. So, Belschnickel, Pretzel Day, Stanley, Florida Stanley, um, probably a ton, mostly a ton of points, but a lot of the other characters that are available now, too. So, yeah, I love that show. I look forward to seeing that quiz when it's all said and done. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you, I made it, I didn't want to make it, like, impossible. There's going to be some really hard questions. There's some that are not, like, somebody like yourself shouldn't have an issue with I'd say roughly at least half of them, but I promise you, no matter how much you know, you're going to get challenged. So anyway, more on that in the coming weeks, but I'll make sure you throw it out there. Cause like I said, I know you're a big fan. Now the podcast that you and Matt are doing, man, you guys have really grinded it out. It started out, you guys were doing one show a week, then it was like two shows. And then once training camp hit, I mean, you guys are out there literally Almost every night. Talk about that a little bit, like the podcast you and Matt are doing, grinding out all the episodes during training camp. Talk about that experience a little bit, because like I said, that show has come a long way in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah, it's kind of like a supply and demand. When when interest started to get really high here at training camp, Matt and I said, you know, let's get on right after practice and let, let's go live. Uh, we use this program where you, it's it's going on Periscope, it's going on YouTube, it's uh, live on Twitter. Uh, it, it's available pretty much on, on every platform. It's it's actually something called uh, StreamYard. It's a really cool program. Yeah. Yep. Um. So, and throughout training camp, boy, I mean, there was a ton of comments, questions. So we figured, you know, as long as it was interesting, let's keep doing this a few times a week. So. Uh, even, even this week, Monday night, we did an AFC East preview show. We had, we had beat reporters for the jets, the dolphins, the Patriots on with us. We kind of broke down the division. Uh, we were supposed to have Tyler done yesterday. He had, he had to leave last minute while, you know, Matt using his contacts gets Lorenzo Alexander and Jeremiah's, uh, Searles, uh, both former bills, both retired players that are very knowledgeable about, uh, Buffalo and they were outstanding guests on the show. Um, and then Friday night, Matt and I are just going to do a preview for week one. So, you know, we're, we're hitting up three times a week. We're probably going to do something post game on Sunday. Uh, and, and you know, a lot of it is again, thanks to the bills fans. They're, they're diehards. We've already, we've always known that, but especially now that the season is upon us, 
they're really getting into this. They're really excited. So as long as, you know, they're supportive, which I, I always expect them to be, I don't see why, why we wouldn't keep putting on these live shows. Yeah, and they're doing well. Who have been a few of your favorite guests? Whether it's, like I said, you've had some people on from the media, some athletes who have been a few that have really stood out to use your favorites. Uh, you know, I'm going to say right now, this might take some people by surprise. I'm going to say Chad Michael Murray is up there for me. Um, Chad Michael Murray is not just a celebrity who is a Bills fan. He is a celebrity who is a diehard Bills fan. He's not just one of those guys that wears the jersey and, and uh, you know, just says he's a fan of the team. He he knows the ins and outs. He knows the history of that team. He's from that area. He was really knowledgeable. He was a really good guest. I thought last night's show was outstanding uh, with, with our former Bills. We've had some great, you know, uh, it's hard to choose because a lot of the Buffalo media has come on from the Athletic, the Buffalo News, all these other outlets. We had a great show recently, uh, probably a month or two, probably two months ago, with some of the, the uh the female uh, reporters on the bills. We had Jenna from Rochester. We, we had Heather from Buffalo uh, and uh, others. And I thought that was a great show because I feel like I, I would love to see the, the, the females fall, uh, that uh, cover the bills actually come out with their own podcast. I think that would be great too. But, you know, we, we try to get anyone and everyone on that we think um, has something to, to bring to the table. And obviously all, all the reporters, the bills do, but then we're also looking out there for other kind of guests that uh, obviously my Bills fans might cover the league as a whole, might cover an opposing team. So we're always out there looking to see who could come on and really be uh, an interesting guest for the show. I'm with Ryan Talbot. I have him by old school cell phone after I failed with Zencaster and Skype. Anyway, Ryan, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about this Bills roster. Kind of want to go just like positionally. And get your thoughts on if you think this, again, positionally, that they're better or worse or pretty much the same as last year. And let's go, uh, and they could still be the same players, but maybe they've matured and developed in your eyes anyway. But obviously, let's start with quarterback. That's the big one. You got the same room in terms of the first two guys. Jake Fromm did make the 53-man. third. I don't see him playing any role on this team this year. I mean, you never know, but don't see it happening. But anyway... Obviously, we could spend five hours talking about how good the defense is, about Stephon Diggs coming here, about the continuity of the offensive line, a younger running back coming into the mix. But at the end of the day, you have to think that the success of the Buffalo Bills is going to fall on the shoulders of Josh Allen. Where do you think he's at right now? Josh Allen and the quarterback as a room as a whole, I say, is better. Uh, starting with Allen, uh, first and foremost, you know the the, the biggest. I, I shouldn't say the biggest because there were the many areas of his game that he needed to improve upon from year two to year three after having, after making some significant strides from year one to year two, but the deep ball was very inconsistent last year. He, I, I want to say like the first one that I can really remember him hitting was in that Denver game where he hit Brown in the end zone. Uh, and there had been a lot of talk about him not being able to hit that deep ball uh, last year. I thought he, he, there was a lot of videos. There was a lot of the beat reporters talking about him connecting downfield, whether it was John Brown, whether it was Stefan Diggs, um, you know, even though he's not with the Bills anymore, there's a video where he hit Robert Foster down the field pretty much in stride. I, I thought he showed more consistency on his deep ball this summer. I, I think that's something he really worked on with Jordan Palmer. Uh, and if he can get that going, it's going to really open things up for this offense because then defenses are going to have to play back and say, okay, if he can hit this 
semi-consistently. That's that's a big play that we need to be able to protect. So that's going to open up things underneath for Cole Beasley. That's going to open up things underneath for Dawson Knox. It's going to help the run game. And it, it obviously goes a long way. He, he made great strides last year in the intermediate area. I still think that's going to be a strength this year. I think that's going to even be better this year because you hit Stefan Diggs in that intermediate area. He's going to take the ball after the catch and make uh, either some guys miss or he's going to use his physicality to get some yards after the catch. Uh, so I think that's going to help. I don't think he has to run as much. You know, obviously, I think last year there were some design plays. I feel like he only ran last year on the undesigned plays where, where the protection broke down pretty quickly. Whereas as a rookie year one, I thought he, he took off sometimes too soon. So I thought he even improved in that area. So Allen as a whole, I think has improved. I think that room has improved and a few reasons, uh, you know, Barkley's a fine backup from it is going to be that, uh, you know, quarantine quarterback is number three, but they're able to bring back Davis Webb to the practice squad. And I, and I know, you know, there might be some people rolling their eyes at Davis Webb, but Davis Webb is just intelligence this summer, this off season has been on display as a whole, whether it was running those Florida practices, uh, whether it was finding out last week that Davis deserves a lot of the credit for Stefan Diggs getting up to speed on the playbook. Uh, they, they were talking about over a zoom about how it was uh, Webb was the one that sat there on those virtual meetings with Diggs and really broke down the playbook. And here's what you do here. And here's this play and, and here's how it works. So, you know, it, it's like they have another coach in the quarterback room in Webb, and I'm sure that was probably the case last year when they had him too, but this is another year of him in having knowledge of the system and the playbook. So, you, you know, Davis Webb is not going to get talked about in terms of being a factor in the Bills' overall success in 2020, but I really think he helps Josh Allen. He helps that quarterback room as a whole, and he obviously benefited Stephon Diggs, which if Dick hit, Diggs hits the ground running, you know, he probably deserves some of the credit for that. Yeah. Now with the running backs, okay, so this sounds weird to say, but so you have a first ballot, future first ballot Hall of Famer and Frank Gore that leaves um, and you replace him with the rookie. So your first thought is, well, how did you improve that? But I definitely think that the running back position has improved because of Zach Moss. So talk about that a little bit. And also, it's a little weird to me how people aren't higher, including maybe the Buffalo Bills staff themselves. I'm Devin Singletary. What is it about this guy? Because he ran for 775 yards last year on just 151 carries, played very well, but he had a couple fumbles and there seems to be some trust issues between this staff and him and in a draft where a lot of people thought maybe they can use a, a cornerback early in the draft or a couple other positions. Maybe uh, you strengthen the offensive line with a good young player. They went out and they got a running back. They took uh, Zach Moss. So. I don't know if that's um, how much that shows that maybe they're not fully in love with Devin Singletary. So talk a little bit about Moss. And if you think that at least some of the reason why they took Moss has a little bit to do with uh, the fact that this is just not a, a franchise that seems to completely, at least not right now anyway, fully trust Devin Singletary. You know, maybe they don't fully trust him because he did have some games where he had some fumbling issues. And I know uh, Joe B pointed out in training camp there a few times where he fumbled the ball. And if he does that in the regular season, yeah, they're, they're going to take some snaps away and give those to Zach Moss. If Moss proves that he is a, as uh, good as he looked at training camp. But I, I don't think the, the drafting of Moss itself had anything to do with them not trusting Singletary. I think it had more so to do with 
Moss being a great value where they had him. I, I had Moss just outside of that top tier of running backs in this class, um, just outside of, of the Clyde Edwards Hilaire group in, in that tier. So I thought he was a second, a surefire second round pick, and then he fell into their lap. So I just think it worked out in that regard. And, and the fact that they knew they needed a compliment to Singletary. So not necessarily a knock against him, just simply, hey, Brent Gore's gone. We need a guy that can come in there and, and be that guy that we can trust on those third and short situations, those guy, that guy that's built to stand in and protect the quarterback in pass protection. Now you can be built like that, but it's another thing to actually do it, but it's something that he did well this summer. Uh, Singletary's bulked up as well. I'm actually really excited about that one, two punch. I think Singletary is going to get the starting, uh, you know, the starting load here in week one against the Jets. They're still going to mix Moss in, uh, but people forget how effective Singletary was on what, like four carries last year against uh, the Jets in week one. He ended up with like 70 some yards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think if you end up giving him 10 to 15 carries and then you give Moss five to eight carries, I think they're going to produce pretty well against this, uh, against this Jets defense who, while I think they're going to throw a lot of exotic looks at the Bills, it's not nearly as good of a defense as it was one year ago. They're not going to have Jamal Adams. They're not going to have. Uh, C.J. Mosley. Uh, it looks like Avery Williamson is going to be out for this game. He's been he has not participated the last visit practice, so I, I think there's going to be opportunities. But you, you know, I, I fall short of saying that the Bills are high on Singletary. I just think that they might say that you know he might not be a. Uh, I hate saying lead back because most I, I think most of this league, other than your Christian McCaffrey's and a handful of others. I think most teams go by a committee by approach now where you kind of split the reps up between two guys. And I think that's what Buffalo is comfortable with. And I think that's okay. But Singletary without obviously didn't have the workload of uh, Henry last year, but they ended up with the same yard per carry average. So he, he proved that when he has the ball, he can pick up those yards with his, his elusiveness, uh, making guys miss. Uh, I just think it's, it was more so of a, Hey, this could be a really good, you know, one, two punch, a, a good complimentary system here in that backfield quickly before we move on to receivers. So we're taping this late into the day on Thursday. It's been reported that the bills have worked out Lamar Miller. Is that more in your opinion, just a precautionary in case of injury or COVID situation? Or you think that's somebody that they could be signing? Ah, you know, I'm on the fence about that. I'm going to throw something out there. What would you, what would you feel if the bills are able to sign him to their practice squad? I don't know if he, I think maybe that's something that they they should actually consider that they, they ended up releasing the only running back they had. Uh, that's not protected. Christian Wade is that protected back who can't come onto that main roster for the second year in a row. They had Antonio Williams and, and they released him recently for a center guard uh, player, Jordan Debbie. Um, so they don't have a running back there right, right now. And I wonder if they would look at him and say, Hey, listen, you know, you're out there on the market right now. We could have you on the practice squad, see how you develop. And then if we like where you're at, maybe he ends up replacing a TJ Yeldon. Uh, maybe he comes in because as a pass catcher, he'd be a phenomenal third down back in, in Buffalo. Uh, it comes down to health with him. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that he made the Pro Bowl. He has two 1,000-yard seasons to his name. Uh, so I think that he could threaten for a roster spot. But this year, you can have up to six veterans on that practice squad. They already have a few. Uh, Evan Bain being one on the offensive line, a guy that you'll probably bring up uh, each week to be that extra offensive lineman. But why not have another running back if he's willing? You know, Brendan Bean a few weeks ago on Sirius XM Radio said 
did they have to find some veterans that could kind of eat that humble pie and say, uh, you, you could still be a star in this league, but if you're out there on the market, why wouldn't you send to a practice squad and get that amount of money that you can get and then maybe end up getting promoted there? So I don't know if, if Miller would be open to doing that, but I would love the idea of adding him to the practice squad, seeing what he can do there for a few weeks. And then if you feel good about it, maybe then you make the switch at, at number three running back. So he's not the guy that I would sit there and say is just due diligence because when healthy, he is a talented back. Yes, and you bring up a good point. I mean, if you're on the market and nobody's signing you, it's an opportunity to make some money. And if you know, if he won't be protected, so if someone else wanted him on their active roster, can kind of force that way on. I'll, I'll tell you, it's just weird because I've never think of the practice squad that way. This year's just so different in so many ways. McCown's like four thousand years old, and he's on the Philadelphia Eagles practice squad now. Just nuts. But yeah, that that's a really good point, Brian. Now, what about the receivers? I mean. Look, I don't need to ask if they're better. Of course they're better. They traded their first-round pick to get Stephon Diggs. They drafted a fourth-rounder, Gabriel Davis. They got a, uh, a six-rounder, Hodgins, who's hurt. Obviously, the room, the wide receiver room is better, but it's going to be different, too, in a way, because last year, when you look at the numbers, it was all Brown and Beasley. I think the third-leading receiver for the Bills last year was wide receivers, McKenzie, who only had 27 catches. I can't see a scenario where Diggs, Beasley, or Brown, assuming they stay healthy, have anything even close to only 27 catches. The ball distribution is probably going to be a lot different this year. Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, to their credit, to this point in time, they're all saying the right things. Victories are more important. Uh, But there there could be some frustration where uh, maybe Diggs isn't getting the ball enough or when he gets targeted, it's finally, or when he finally gets targeted, it's overthrown or whatever the case may be. Brown could show some frustration now that I've seen that from him. Um, but at the same time, if you're winning, you know, that at the end of the day should be what makes you happy because that you're, you're trying to win a championship here. But I, I think that you got to ride the hot hand on a week to week basis. If you have a team that has a strong cornerback, you know, which believe it or not, there's a few teams in the AFC. So I think the Dolphins have a strong one, two punch, a cornerback. I think the Patriots have a strong two, one, uh, one, two punch, a cornerback. Well, then that happens, you know, Beasley should be your main target if you like the matchup there. Knox, you, you utilize the run game. Obviously, you're still going to target those guys on the outside. But, you know, go with your best matchup week to week. Sometimes there's teams that will put their number one cornerback on the number two receiver, but the second cornerback on the number one gives safety help. So, you know, it's all strategy in the NFL that you ride the hot hand, ride the hand or ride the matchups that you really like on a week to week basis. And, and then, mind you, besides those three, you have Gabriel Davis, a, a guy that, who, no matter who you talk to, has said this guy does, has not looked like a rookie in training camp, right. which is bizarre. Because if there was ever a year for rookies to look like rookies, it's the one where you don't have OTAs, you don't have rookie minicamp, you don't have a preseason. This guy has come in and made plays every day, and you know, I, I knew he was a player the Bills loved. Just because after he was drafted, the first thing he did was go out and practice on the practice field, run routes, catch balls. He, he's a football player, quote unquote. He, he fits the mold of what they like, but he, he's backing it up on the field. So I would be shocked if on Sunday, uh, Gabriel Davis makes a big play and scores one of the first touchdowns of the season because the Jets are going to have to pay so much attention to that trio that you mentioned. They have to pay attention to Knox. So all of a sudden, you have Gabriel Davis, a wide receiver who can play inside or outside. He knows all the positions. 
Uh, you can have him, and it could be an incredible mismatch against a Jet secondary that is not strong like the Patriots and the Dolphins, uh, and he could end up making some big plays. So they are loaded one through three. But number four, Gabriel Davis, based on what we've seen so far, could have an impact. Now, mind you, I don't think he's going to have a stat line that compares to that top three when all of a sudden done this season. But I think he could be a guy that makes big plays, one or two big plays every other weekend. That can obviously help this offense move the chains and, and win some games this season. I'm going to kind of just skim through tight ends here because it's like quite literally the exact same room as last year. But you got Dawson Knox going in the year two. Tyler Crawford now is healthy. I think we could arrive at a pretty safe conclusion that it can only go up from there. I mean, they were decent last year, but it could be better. I want to do spend a couple minutes talking about the offensive line because they brought Feliciano, or not Feliciano, Spain back. So they kept the entire offensive line, but of course Feliciano got hurt. It's kind of has things a little bit messed up. We don't know. At least right now, we still don't know as we're taping this Thursday, at least not officially anyway, if Cody Ford is playing guard or tackle. Let me ask you this. Do you really care? Because, I mean, it is like a big deal. You know how it is on Twitter and Facebook as well, the, the Bills pages. It's a big deal. It's like this big murder mystery trying to get solved right now. How much does it matter to you where he plays? And Daryl Williams, what is his role going to be? It seems to me, and I could be wrong. Again, you guys cover this team regularly. I'm not. Ryan Winters is going to kind of be like an insurance guy if somebody gets hurt or plays really bad. But it feels to me whether it's Ford, Darrell Williams, and Inseki, two of those three guys are probably going to be starters. How are you uh, seeing this play out? How much do you care where Ford plays right now? I, I personally don't care where Ford plays right now. It, it, you know, whenever the team thinks he's best suited, it is great. I, the only thing I'll say on that is if they think there's even a sliver of a chance that he can be a very good right tackle. I would hate to see them move him from that position uh, just because I thought as the year went on, he got better and better at that spot. Um, I, I think that you have to keep in mind that this was a guy that was in that college football playoffs. And then he went directly to that to training for the NFL draft. You had pro days, combines, visits, top 30 visits, all that. So he didn't really have an actual off season leading into his rookie year. And the fact that he got thrown out there as a rookie, and I thought, again, played better week by week. Uh, I thought that he, he that he played very well in that playoff game, and that blindside block was not a blindside block by any means. Um, I would like to see him get another chance there at right tackle. Now, mind you, he, he did have a surgery this offseason, so he didn't have a full offseason, but he knows the speed of these defensive ends. He knows the strength that he needs in terms of, uh, going one-on-one -on -one against some of these guys. I would just like to see him get another opportunity at right tackle before you kick him inside. Um, I just think it's easier to move from outside in than inside out. So once you move him to guard, it might be difficult to kind of move him back out there. Uh, and then also, you know, if you think Feliciano is your right guard, then why would you move him inside just for four to five weeks and then kind of kick him back out? But it's going to be interesting. I, I think Daryl Williams had a really strong camp. I think that um, some pe I saw some people on the beat say that they weren't even sure that he was going to make the roster when he, after he first signed because he was coming off such a, a down year in Carolina. But I think a lot of that had to do with how Carolina utilized him. They had him play left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle. If you can't settle the guy in at one, maybe two spots, well, what, what do you expect is going to happen? You, you know, the starting right tackle one game you're the right tack or right guard the next you're over on the left hand side 
That's difficult. I know people think, well, if you're a guard, you're a guard. You can play either side. Or if you're a tackle, you're a tackle. No, that that's not necessarily the case. You're not as effective one side as the other. So I think that the fact that Buffalo has him just on the right side has benefited him this summer. And then Ty Insecki, you know, to Ty Insecki's credit, when he was healthy and out there last year, I thought he was outstanding. The only issue with Ty Insecki is he, he's in, you know, mid-30s. He was nicked up a lot last year, banged up a lot last year. Um, so, you know, how much can you get out of him? So, uh, in theory, it really doesn't matter to me how it all shakes out as long as the Bills are comfortable with that. But personally, I would like to see him, uh, Cody Ford, that is, get one more shot, a legitimate shot at right tackle before you move on too soon and, and move him inside long term. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, him, I think it's a little bit of gamesmanship going on right now with uh, Sean McDermott. One thing about Darrell Williams, too, that a lot of people don't even realize he's only 20 years old. It's not like this is a guy in his mid thirties. He's still relatively young. I'll tell you, you look at this offense and there's no reason in the world why they should not be better than they were last year because we just went through the positions. They didn't lose anyone of significant value. They lost Frank Gore and they replaced him with a rookie that I think universally we all think is going to be better than him this year. At least a 36 year old version. Obviously I'm talking about of Frank Gore and Zach Moss. Josh Allen in another year of being a starter under his belt. There's no reason on earth. And then, of course, Diggs is the big addition. There's no reason on earth why this offense shouldn't be marketably better than it was last year, right? Oh, 100%. And, and you know, even on that offensive line, remember, Mitch Morris missed most of the, the lead up to the season last year with the concussion issues. Uh, he's had a, a full off season here where he's been practicing when they got together. He's been healthy. Uh, you have Spain entering year two in this system. Dawkins uh, coming off of his best season in the NFL. You, and then we already talked about the right side of the line. So even the protection should be better. Tyler Croft, yeah, he had his foot stepped on at one point. And I'm not saying Tyler Croft is going to go out there and catch 50 balls or anything like that, but he's healthy. He can be a solid number two tight end. Uh, he can he can be a red zone guy. He can be a guy that, you know, I, I think the personnel this year is going to look a lot different in terms of what Buffalo runs. Pat DeMarco was obviously released from the IR recently. Uh, Reggie Gilliam, a great kid with a great story, is going to be more so of a tight end, but he has that H-back skill set. So I think you're going to see a lot of more four wide receiver sets. They're going to open things up more. So, yeah, this offense should, in theory, be significantly better from one year ago. Well, I'll tell you, if there's one position on this team, and if we're playing the game of better, worse, or the same, that is definitely different it is the defensive line. There's been a whole lot of change on the defensive line. Jordan Phillips led the team with nine and a half sacks last year. Shaq Lawson was second with six and a half sacks last year. And a very good run defender as well, Shaq. Both of them left. Free agents. Star Latorale is he opted out. So for the purposes of the 2020 Bills, he's not playing. That's three good defensive linemen from last year that are gone. Now, of course, in their place, uh, Vernon Butler is here. You have Mario Addison, you have Quentin Jefferson, and you use a second-round draft pick on A.J. Epinesa. Trent Murphy does stick around. A lot of people thought he was going to get cut. But like Brandon Bean said, that was more fans and you know media than anything else. So when you look at uh, this defensive line, what are your thoughts? Do you think they're better? Do you think they're worse? Do you think it, it remains to be seen right now? Because this, again, is the one position on this team where there is significant turnover. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Significantly better. Really? And it sounds funny because you mentioned it. 
the top, if I told you that the top two players in terms of sacks would leave the team and they'd be significantly better, you know, I would say, how is that even possible? Right. You, you forgot one name. You were mentioning all those players, Eric Washington, Eric Washington is an outstanding defensive line coach. Now I, I know they became available because he was fired as the Panthers defensive coordinator. If you look at those ranks of those Panther players under him, whether it was defensive line coach or even defensive coordinator, they were high up there in, in sacks each and every year. They were, I think there was one year where they weren't, uh, but they were number one, number two, number three in that range a few times under Eric Washington. And Washington is, is bringing in some guys that know his system, whether it's Mario Addison, the guy who has had nine sacks uh, on, you know, or more in the last four seasons, despite that age, he's not fallen off whatsoever. You have a healthy Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes from week one, I actually, I think he was before the start of the season, was dealing with a wrist injury all year last year, and he was still semi-productive. You have uh, Quentin Jefferson, a guy that can play inside out and is really a uh, a versatile player, which, again, they love. Ed Oliver, who came on the second half of the season, should only be better in year two. Vernon Butler coming off of a career year, six sacks at that uh, defensive tackle spot. Harrison Phillips, healthy. Uh, you know, answer a lot of questions. I thought this training camp in terms of where he was at leading up to week one saying if he had to play 250 snaps against the Jets, he could, I don't think he's going to have to play that much against the Jets offense uh, by any means, but he looks healthy. Uh, and then Trent Murphy, you know, Trent Murphy really came on last year at the end of the season, a sack against Pittsburgh on that Sunday night game. He had two sacks in the regular season finale against the Jets, two sacks in the playoff game. Yeah, he, uh, against, he was great against Houston, yeah. Yep, against Houston. And then he has always been very good against the run in terms of setting the edge. He's been high up there on Buffalo's total in, in terms of quarterback pressures and, and getting after the quarterback. So maybe he didn't show up on the stat sheet. But, you know, last night, Lorenzo Alexander said he goes, one thing that sometimes doesn't show up in those defensive stats is, is getting after the quarterback and getting those pressures. Because if you can pressure a quarterback and he has to get rid of the ball before he wants to, that's just almost as successful as sacking a quarterback or uh, not necessarily creating a turnover, but little things like that add up because maybe the ball gets bad and maybe it leads to a, a three and out where you're going to, you flip the field and field position. And I think Buffalo's defensive line was good at least. I think they're going to be even better this year because of the addition of Eric Washington. Uh, Epinez, I didn't mention him yet. He's kind of low on that depth chart, which, you know, Sean McDermott, in most cases, likes his rookies to have to earn those snaps. He's proven that unless he's had to get guys out there on the field. Epinez is a guy that I think they do bring along solely just because they have so much talent there. But I think as the year goes on, he'll be a factor there. So there's just so much talent. Even on the practice squad, Brian Cox Jr. Brian Cox Jr. made some had some really good days at training camp where he made some plays. Uh, he obviously has played under Washington before in Carolina. So even he's even a guy that, you know, doesn't get talked about enough as a potential guy that might get called up on a Sunday. Mike Love, same case. Daryl uh, Johnson, it made the 53-man roster. He was pretty solid last year on special teams. Uh, he flashed last year over the summer in terms of the defensive end spot, but he, he didn't have a great rookie season in terms of the defensive end position. But he's a guy that I thought had, had a really nice summer too. So they are locked and loaded with starting talent and depth. I think this unit will be significantly better in 2020. Well, let me say this about AJS Vanessa as well. If anybody thought that Braden Bean was lying 
back in April after the draft where he said he took him because he was his legit best player. Look no further than right now because there's a good chance that he might not even be active early in the season. So you take a second round guy who might even start the season being on the inactive list. Now, we don't know that for sure, but it's certainly a possibility. And for the time being, he's buried on the depth chart. You would have thought for sure that him being there would have met the end of Trent Murphy. Not the case. And I haven't heard one single bad thing about AJ Espinessa to make him suggest that, you know, he's not what the Bills wanted him to be. But the fact that they use a second round pick on a guy that's probably going to not contribute much at all, at least very early on anyway, that shows you that Brandon Bean was being truthful, that that was their legit best player on the board. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree completely. You know, Espinessa reminds me of Shaq Lawson in terms of he's not that explosive guy that's uh, being going to be able to blow by defensive ends, but he's a strong guy. He's good at setting the edge. And maybe if we had a typical offseason, the rookie mini camps, the OTAs, the preseason, maybe then they would have been able to cut Trent Murphy and save that seven and a half, eight million dollars or seven point two million. It's somewhere in that range. Uh, but you know, it's it was an unusual offseason. Uh, but now you have that benefit of bringing him along slowly. You don't have to throw him out there. And I think that benefits him in the long term. And I think as the year goes on, you'll see more and more out of him. Yeah, and I also think it shows that you got a pretty good football team when the first guy that you pick is not going to factor in too much too early on, at least, again, really early on anyway. All right, so the linebackers, you got your two stars. You got Edmonds, you got Milano. The difference is you got A.J. Klein in, Lorenzo Alexander retired. I would say the knock on last year's linebacking unit was that it was pretty thin. And I think you can make the argument for the 2020 Bills that the linebacking depth, at least in terms of being proven, is pretty thin because you got Tyrell Dawson and Delshawn Phillips as backups. Tyler Matekovich is an addition and pretty much, you know, I don't want to say exclusively, but he's a special teams uh, specialist. So anyway, you look at this unit and what are your thoughts on that compared to last year? I'm going to say same, um, but there's potential for it to be worse, actually. And, and that's not a knock on A.J. Klein. It's just Lorenzo Alexander did so much for this football team. Sure. But I want to see Klein be able to do even half of that before I can say that it's definitely at least the same. It could end up being better. It could. Uh, I thought Tyrell Dodson had an outstanding camp. I thought that he really earned the trust of that coaching staff, that they really liked him. Uh, Matakavich is going to be a stud on special teams. Uh, I'm interested to see how he plays when he is on the field, though, on defense, whether it's just you know one or two snaps, uh, maybe three to five snaps per game. Just because every time it looked like he was going to get snaps in Pittsburgh, they'd sign someone in free agency that would take over that role. And I'm not saying that he didn't have a chance to compete for a, a bigger role, but sometimes when you pay people more money in free agency, they automatically get that bump in front of you as certain teams do that. Uh, so I'm interested to see what he can do. Uh, and then, you know, Delshawn Phillips, good for him for making this roster. He flew under the radar, uh, whether it was, you know, the, the media itself. You never really heard his name much. And I think maybe that's kind of a kudos to the Bills staff because maybe at one point Buffalo thought, okay, if, he, if we have to go another route at, in terms of our 53-man roster and go with a, a guy like Vashon Joseph, who we drafted a year ago, uh, I don't want anyone to say a word about how well this guy's playing because I want to make sure we can sneak him onto the practice squad. Well, you know, lo and behold, he ends up being one of the six best linebackers in their, in their opinion. He makes the roster. And it seems like a lot of the things that he did, the media didn't get to see 
So, you know, Buffalo likes to keep things close to the vest. I think this offseason they had the opportunity to do that, where, you know, sometimes they're in the field house and the media didn't get to see what they were doing. And, and Phillip's really impressed, though. He, he's kind of like a wild card in all this, because I don't know what to expect out of him. But obviously, the coaching staff likes him a lot. Uh, Edmonds and Milano, they're outstanding. They're great. They're only going to get better with another year in the system, the communication, the play, et cetera. So I hate saying that this unit has the potential to be worse, but I just need to see what Klein can do as that other starter just because Alexander brought so much to this unit. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let, we'll skip safeties. It's the same. They're good. Corners, there's one difference. Kevin Johnson's out. Josh Norman's in. Again, we're taping this Thursday. Josh Norman did not practice Thursday. It's not looking good for Sunday. So again, compared to last year, swap Kevin Johnson and put in Josh Norman. What are your thoughts? Now, me personally, I've been saying it for five months. I did not like the Josh Norman signing then. I don't like it now. It's just me, though. Uh, what are your thoughts on all this? I'm going to say the unit will be better. Um, I, when they first signed Norman, like it was early in the other season before the start of actual free agency, he was released and they brought him in. I thought what they signed him to contract-wise was a little high based on how he was the season he was coming off in Washington. Now, it's an unofficial depth chart, but to his credit, Buffalo did have him as the starter opposite Trey White. Uh, so so if he is healthy, I'm interested to see where he plays and how he plays. Obviously, from a scheme fit, he fits it. But I think they're better just because I think that um, he is just as good of a fit in terms of as, as Kevin Johnson was a year ago in terms of that combination of Norman and uh, Levi Wallace as it was with, with that combination. But the reason I say better is because if you look, uh, Taron Johnson, yeah, you have him in the slot when he's healthy. He's great. But I'm going to say better because it's Duran Neal. They moved him officially now on, on the roster to that cornerback position. He can play inside. He can play outside. He can play big nickel. I actually think they like him on the outside. They actually showed him uh, in coverage against John Brown. Brian scored a touchdown, but there's a little bit of a push off there at the end. He was running stride for stride with John Brown, which is no easy task. Uh, considering Brown's speed. So I, I just think the overall unit is stronger. Obviously, you have a number one cornerback in Trey White, who was paid like a number one corner. Uh, I, the collective unit, though, I really like. And then I'm mean, also adding the practice squad. Uh, Cam Lewis, I thought, had a really good shot of making that 53-man roster. He didn't, but they were able to get him back from the practice squad. He was one of their protected players. And, and then you have a young guy like Dane Jackson. I don't think Jackson will be a factor as a rookie. But I think that the Bills have shown that they can really develop some of these young guys. So I think long-term, uh, that a move like that can end up paying off for this roster as well. I'll tell you what, guys like Cam Lewis and, and Jackson, it was one of the few benefits. If there's benefits of not having preseason, I feel anyway that if those guys would have went out and had an excellent preseason, it might have put more pressure to put them on the 53 because there's 31 other teams that are watching film. And if they clear waiver or they try to go through waivers, Maybe a team cleared them. So it was a little easier for them to put them through waivers and put them on the practice squad because other teams didn't get to see them in action. You know, if those guys were ready, I don't know if they're not. But anyway, special teams got a new kicker, a rookie, Tyler Bass. Outside of that, so you look at this roster and we just went through it here. You can make the argument that with the exception of maybe linebacker, which is a maybe with AJ Klein in and Lorenzo Alexander out, that this team is the same or better at every position last year. And this is a team that won 10 games last year. And this is a team that didn't really try to win that 16th uh, final regular season game last year either. So they could have easily won 11. 
And we're pretty much in agreement here that it's a much better roster than it was a year ago. Yeah, 100%. And special teams is going to be better, in my opinion. Um, you know, first starting at the kicker position, Tyler Bass. One thing Bass can do that House has struggled with is kick field goals from 50-plus yards. with You know, well, I shouldn't say with consistency. He has the leg strength. He can make one from 60-65 probably. And there's going to be a game, I guarantee it, where before halftime there's going to be like three seconds on the clock, and the Bills are going to let him try a 60-65 yard kick. And, and I don't know if he's going to make it or not. But if he does, think about how much that can benefit them long term where you can have him come out there and roll him out in, in certain situations and say, hey, you know, uh, it's the it's right before halftime or it's a tie game and overtime could be possible. And the Bills could say, you know what, if we can get within 60 yards, we have a shot to win in regulation. Things like that can happen. I don't you wouldn't try it in overtime because then you're going to give the, the ball back there if he misses it. But there's going to be certain situations where that benefits the Bills and he's going to be better on kickoffs, too. They talked about how at the scrimmage there were swirling winds that day. And we know how the winds can get in Buffalo, especially in November, December time. If he can kick through those winds and and force teams to uh, either take a touchback or kick it out of the end zone, which he did in, at that scrimmage, that's going to help in field position. You know, Corey Bohorquez, there's going to be some games that he's going to look like a great punter. There's going to be some games where you're going to want to pull your hair out because he's going to kick a 25-yard punt. And you're going to wonder how he still is on that roster. Consistency is the issue there. But the special teams as a whole is going to be outstanding, in my opinion. You have Taiwan Jones and Saraniel as your gunners. Those are outstanding gunners to have. You have Tyler Matikevich, who has you know tied for the league lead in uh, tackles last year in special teams and has led the NFL in special teams tackles over, I think it's the last three years total. Um, Delshawn Phillips, Reggie Gilliam. You know, Re- Reggie Gilliam, some people in the media have joked that that's my guy. Uh, but I, I said in April, after the, after the free, undrafted free agents, where everyone was talking, Trey Adams said, if there's one guy that's going to make this roster, it's Reggie Gilliam because yep. of the special teams factor. I said, here's a guy that led the nation in block kicks as a junior. He has that knack. And again, the Bills haven't had a guy like that in terms of, of blocking the kicks and blocking punts. I think he can be that guy, and I'm excited to see how he develops. So. The, the unit as a whole, I really think that Heath Farewell is going to have a, a much better season in 2020. You know what? I forgot about that. You did identify Gilliam in April. Me and Aaron Quinn on Tuesday's show gave you some love for that as well. So <laughs> props for that. I'll tell you what, this podcast is a complete and utter lack of special teams because you just brought up some great points. And I I mean, I didn't even care enough to ask you about them. <laughs> so that <laughs> shame on me for that. But I'll tell you what, here's how we're going to end this. I always love doing this. So the season starts actually tonight. Again, we're taping this Thursday. I want to do some Ryan Talbot 2020 official predictions. I'm going to jump in with mine as well. And I love to get these in September and then come back at you and either talk shit or give you some props come <laughs> January. So I got some categories and we'll start with, uh, let's start with MVP. Who do you got? I have Patrick Mahomes. It's the safe pick. I think that they're, Again, the Super Bowl favorite. I think that as long as he's healthy, he's going to be in the MVP race. Yeah, I agree. I love to be creative and go against you, even though he didn't win it last year. But yeah, he's the clear cut best player in the NFL. So I'm going to go there too. Offensive and defensive player of the year. Well, Mahomes will be the offensive player of the year. So if we're both agreed on that, who do you got for defensive player of the year? Well, actually, let me get on my soapbox real quick. The okay. NFL, for whatever reason, does not give the award to the MVP. Like last year, I think it was true. Michael Thomas. That was the offensive. Right. I hate that. Yeah. If Patrick Mahomes is your MVP, he's also your offensive player. It should be. So 
So I actually did not pick him because of the NFL and how it works. I mean, I went with Christian McCaffrey as the offensive player of the year. Uh, I I don't necessarily think that Carolina is is going to be a contender this year by any means. But I see a lot of people saying they're going to have like the number one, number two, or three pick in this draft. I think they're going to be better than people expect with Bridgewater at quarterback. With and McCaffrey's going to be able to carry that offense for us. So I have Christian McCaffrey for my offensive player of the year. Oh, okay. uh, defensive player. Oh, sorry about that. No, defensive player of the year. I have Nick Bosa. Me too. Me too. Nine sacks as a rookie, and he was one of the best defensive players in the NFL as a rookie. He's going to be elite this year for sure. So, yeah, I got Nick Bosa as well. Uh, offensive rookie. Joe Burrow. I, I just think that he he is going to be the real deal. I, I did write Clyde edwards in parentheses if I had to, you know, pick maybe someone other than that because I think Burrow is an obvious choice. But I just think that he's going to – uh, bring this team up to speed faster than people believe. Again, not a playoff contender this year, but I wouldn't be shocked if they're they're fighting for a playoff spot in 2021. I actually went with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. What a fun offense that's going to be. Again, we're taping this Thursday. For all I know, they could lose 10-3 to three tonight. But uh, what about on the other side, defensive rookie of the year? I want obvious again, Chase Young. He looks like the real deal uh, based on what we've seen at camp. I think he's going to be a big factor for the Washington football team. I'm going to take a shot here. I got Isaiah Simmons from Arizona. It's going to be like my it. defensive rookie of the year. How about coach of the year? Sean McDermott. Word. All right. I mean, that's a popular pick. I, I got Mike McCarthy for Dallas, which is probably not a popular pick because they're supposed to be good every year, but I think they're going to be this year. So I'm going with him. Um, comeback player of the year. I've already awarded it to Alex Smith. I don't care if he doesn't even play a snap. The <laughs> fact that he's on a 53-man roster, give the, give him the award right now. After you saw that injury and you saw all the surgeries, you know, I know he said he was trying to make the comeback, but I think a lot of people kind of doubted it and didn't expect it. Alex Smith, in my opinion. All right, and that that's a fair point. If I'm going to go football only, I'm going to go with Big Ben. I know Cam Noonan is a very trendy pick, especially if you watch ESPN, by the way. Holy shit, man. <laughs> we're, again, we're taping this Thursday. I watched it all morning long, and you would think that the Patriots were the heaviest favorites ever to win the AFC East if you watched uh, Get Up this morning. But anyway, uh, so we got comeback covered. What about your uh, biggest dud player this year? Somebody you think is hyped up is going to be kind of a dud. Rob Gronkowski. I, I don't understand the excitement. I don't. I thought he was a dud his last year. I thought he retired because... You know, injuries have taken their toll, and I don't think he's going to be a, a huge factor in, in that Tampa Bay offense as much as uh, Tom Brady, you know, likes him and they have that chemistry they have. They have two outstanding receivers. They have some young guys at tight end that I think are going to be better than Gronk. So I'm going to go Rob Gronkowski. All right, I'm going to stick with the same team, and I'm going to say Tom Brady, and not just because I hate him. I just think he's a glorified game manager right now, and I think if Tampa Bay is going to be good, I'm telling you, that defense has a lot of talent on it. A lot of names on offense, but I can see them running the ball. Eh, I'm just not a big Tom Brady guy. And again, not just because I hate him. What about the other side of the uh, of the coin here? A, a breakout star for this year. You know, I think he's closer than, so I didn't, I didn't know if this was a good pick or not because I think he's already on the cusp. Kyler Murray, I think he's going to end up being the, a, a star, superstar. So I went with Kyler Murray. All right, now I went with Drew Locke, but in fairness, Again, taping this Thursday, I just learned an hour or so ago that Cortland Sutton got injured, and it might be serious. I hope it's not, because I really like the Denver weapons a lot. If you got a healthy Cortland Sutton, you got Noah Fant, you got the rookie Jerry Judy, Melvin Gordon's there. 
I think all the tools are in place for Drew Locke to have a really good year. So that's why I went with him. But again, that's contingent on Sutton not being hurt too bad. Um, how about biggest, most pleasant surprise for a team? I actually went with the Washington Football Club. I think they're going to be closer to, I think they're going to, you, you know, and, I, and it also I wanted to say real quick because I had a pause there. And again, not saying this is a playoff team, but based on where they were one year ago, I think they're going to be closer to 500 than some people believe. I really think Ron Rivera is going to turn that team around faster than you expect. Um, I, I like some of that, the players that they have. I, I'm ex- I know no, there's very few people that believe in Dwayne Haskins, but I think he was given a, a rough shake last year in the uh, system. I, I think that he's a better quarterback than what he showed, and I, I'm interested to see how he plays as well. I'm going to go with the Cleveland Browns. And I think everyone's got Baltimore or Pittsburgh or some combination of them, one and two. So most people got Cleveland picked for third in that division. And I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not a big Baker Mayfield guy. In fact, I'd consider putting him as a dud player. I think he could be not that good, but I think this team could be better. I love the running backs. Got a lot of talent. I like the defense a lot. I could see Cleveland being a surprise team this year. I, By the way, I did have Denver before Von Miller went down. I like the Broncos a lot, but Von Miller is just a, a very big piece of that defense. That's going to be gone. What about the other side here? Biggest team flop. Houston Texans, one of the teams that we're going to see tonight. You know, I think Braden Cooks is a good wide receiver. I think Will Fuller, when healthy, is a very good wide receiver. But the the fact that you traded away Hopkins, and I get that you didn't want to pay him that that big deal, but you traded him away for a running back who really hasn't been effective since what two thousand uh, twenty, you know, twenty sixteen, something like that. Uh, that still to this day blows my mind. I don't think they're going to even win the division this year. I think the Colts are going to surprise. Maybe, maybe they're not a surprise, but I think the Colts end up winning. I am going to go with the New England Patriots. By the way, if Houston beats Kansas City tonight, you, then you change your mind, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you never know, but I, I, I think it's going to be a blowout. We'll see if I'm wrong, but I think it'll be a blowout in favor of the Chiefs tonight. All right. Well, I'm going with New England. Again, watching it this morning, there's still a lot of people who think they're the best team in the division. I'm not a huge Cam Newton guy. The guy had an MVP season in 2015. He's had one good year since, and I just think there's a lack of talent in that organization. I know Bill Belichick's a legendary coach, the GOAT, the best ever. I just don't like that team. I don't think they're going to be that good. I really don't. In fact, I wouldn't even be surprised if Miami finishes second in that division this year. It's uh, funny, I actually almost had them as my surprise team for that very reason. I thought they have a chance to win second place in the, in the East. <laughs> All right, last couple here, and these are uh, the championship predictions. Or actually, one more before that. Give me an official, because I didn't ask you earlier, an official on the record, Buffalo Bills regular season record. 10-6, and six, but it's a lot more impressive than 10-6 and six from one year ago. Matt and I actually uh, publish our week-by-week predictions. I have them winning the division at by week 15 so 16 and 17 well obviously they could still be playing for seeding uh, i i have them losing week 17 because again they, they're benching their uh starters uh so you know again they could have been an 11 win team so 10 and 6 but against the competition they're going against, i think that's going to be better than one year ago i'm going to go one win higher i just did joe miller's show uh, overreaction sports podcast on monday and we did game by game i ended up at 11-5. I had them sweeping New England, by the way, so I'll stick with that. All right, we've reached the AFC Championship. Give me your AFC Championship prediction. A Thursday night football rematch, Bills versus Chiefs. Ooh. Yeah, I have the Bills going far. I, I have them. That's where their season ends, in my opinion. 
but I have them making some noise in the AFC playoffs this year. Okay. I got Kansas City as well, but I got them beating the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC championship game. I got Pittsburgh going all the way to the championship game. I love that defense. I think Big Ben is not going to be, maybe not necessarily elite, but he's still going to be good. They got enough weapons. I like them a lot. And by the way, when I talked about biggest team flop, I talked about New England. I was very strongly considering putting Baltimore there. I don't, I like Lamar Jackson. I think he's a great quarterback, but he's had two shitty playoff games in a row. And if anything happens to him, I, I just, I'm not in love with the Baltimore Ravens. Anyway, I like the Steelers more than them. I think they make it to the AFC championship before losing to the Chiefs. What about the other side? So you got the NFC championship. I have the Seahawks versus the Saints. I'm not even seeing the Seahawks listed as much by uh, national media as I thought they would. And I get the 49ers in that division. Arizona is better. The Rams, um, it wasn't that long ago they were in the Super Bowl. They were still 9-7 last year despite not making the playoffs. But I just think the Se- I, Russell Wilson is the top three quarterback, maybe top two quarterback in this league. I think that he can carry them. I think that they go farther than a lot of people expect. So Seahawks, Saints. And you, who do you got winning that? I actually have the Seahawks winning it. You had the Seahawks winning. Okay, my NFC championship prediction is I have the New Orleans Saints winning against the Dallas Cowboys. So that sets up a Super Bowl prediction. So you had Kansas City against Seattle. And who do you got winning? I have the Chiefs winning again, back yeah. to back, which is not easy, but I just think it happens. Okay, well, I got Kansas City against the Saints. And I actually tell you what, he almost got ran out of the league this summer for some comments that he made. Uh, the, the Saints are going to win the Super Bowl. Finally, it's going to come together. Everything's going to come together. Drew Brees is going to lead in the Super Bowl. I love everything about that team, man. They got the best receiver in the NFL. I think Alvin Kamara is going to have a very good season. Love the defense. There's talent all over the place on that defense. This is the year they finally put it together. So I got the Saints beating the Kansas City Chiefs. They, uh, you know what? I, if that did happen, I would like to see Breeze right off into the sunset with uh, that new championship. That would be good for him, and then it'd probably be good for him to get out when he does because I mean, I think that the, uh, the the cap there finally is caught up to the Saints, and it's going to be ugly for a few years when he does decide to hang it up. Yeah. All right, everybody, give Ryan a follow on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. Check out his work at NewYorkUp.com. You know, I spend so much time talking about you doing podcasting now that I kind of gloss over the fact that you're a really good writer, man. You put out a lot of good stuff out there. And then, of course, the podcast, Shout Buffalo Football Podcast, man. It's uh, a lot of fun. One of the few shows that I'll watch at night, by the way. I like to get in like a nighttime show. I, I tune, tune in on YouTube Live when you guys are doing your thing. You and Matt Perino, great work, man. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. I always enjoy coming on. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for today's episode. Very big thank you again, Ryan Talbot from NewYorkUp.com. I'm not just saying this. I really mean it. One of not just my favorite Bills writers out there, but one of my favorite people. Such a nice dude, and I'm so happy to see all the success that's coming his way. He's worked his ass off. He's a good guy, and he's very talented, so it's well-deserved. Thank you very much, as always, Ryan. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening as well. If you have not yet subscribed, please go in and do that right now. Rate and review. 
all that fun stuff. It literally takes maybe 20 to 30 seconds to do all that. And it helps me. I can't even tell you how much it helps me continue to grow the show. So please go ahead and do that. Um, we're available on all the major podcasting platforms, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, all of them. Also check us out on YouTube, Talking Buffalo Podcast YouTube channel. You know, I plug that every week, but I'm going to be honest with you. Have not been keeping up with that enough. I need to do a better job. I put highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. Maybe I'll throw a few up from here. But I am going to start having some original content on there very soon. In fact, I'm going to start doing some video stuff, hopefully soon enough. So go check that out. Talking Buffalo Podcast on YouTube. Last but not least, follow me on Twitter, at Pamoran Tweets. Yo, that's where I live. I am there all the time, man. You're going to find me there. Don't call me. Don't email me. Don't text me. None of that crap. Just hook me up. Find me on Twitter. You'll see me there. Uh, podcast promos, upcoming guests, just sports talk with fans. I love being on Twitter. So at Pamoran Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I say it all the time. I really appreciate it. I know how many good shows there are out there. So much quality competition. A lot of shit competition too, but a lot of quality competition. So when you're locked into this one, it really, it means a lot to me. I don't take that lightly. So thank you very much. Have a good weekend. The NFL's back. Enjoy it. Be back. Brand new episode next Tuesday. Go Bills. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.